Good morning, Sovereign Grace Fellowship. It is really good to be together with you around the Holy Spirit in the Word of God this morning, no matter where we're sitting. Now, here's the big but. Next Sunday, we're going to be all together right here, seeing each other's faces and lifting our hearts and the fruit of our lips and praise to God together. I can't wait. I have really missed you, my peeps. Now, this Wednesday, just three days from now, before next Sunday, Home Group is back on at the LeMay Home at 7 p.m. Hope to see you there. Now, a couple other things with this COVID experience for numbers of us. And first is this. I want to thank all of you for your prayers for me, my wife, my kids, my family, and your prayers for one another in this church during this irritating virus. Next, I am really deeply thankful Thankful for the service and the love shown in very practical manners or ways with food and delivery and stopping by and with medicines or helps in prayers for my family. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Now, concerning this COVID experience, I seem to have gotten the thing pretty much full-blown my wife pretty much full-blown the next six kids we think all of them probably had it five of them had some symptom or another but very very slight in other words my own household was an anecdote from what we know from science that the younger you are this thing is like nothing if you're an old geezer like me I still only had a 99.95% chance of survival. Yeah, we had zero fear in our household. It was just a little irritating. For the young ones, eh, maybe it bothered them for a couple hours and they got tired or something, and that was it. We really need to open up the schools in this country. Now, my particular experience of COVID compared to others, I probably had uh, influenza five times in my life. And I'm talking about not just cold, I'm talking about influenza, man. It's, when you get hit with it, it's, it's bad. This experience of this COVID virus was not nearly as bad as probably four of those five times I've had influenza. Though it is irritating. I mean, I would prefer not to get it, but that's that. Now, before we move to the preaching of the Word of God this morning, I'm, I'm going to add a prayer section to this video service. A prayer for our country and a prayer for the church of Jesus in this country. Freedom of speech is being directly attacked right now in this country. The freedom of assembly to worship is 
in direct line with those who hate the gospel in this country. Their sights are on it and on the church. More and more laws against Christian beliefs are being and will continue to be written and carried out. The left has promised to make the Equality Act law. And now they have all the power to do it. And there goes religious freedom. But we know this. God is sovereign. We know that God is the one who brings judgment at the hands of people and cultures and governments. If you don't know that, then you don't know your Bible. And, and if you don't know that the American church is headed for an unprecedented time of persecution, then you have not been paying attention. If you remain faithful as a Christian, eventually you'll wake up to it. Now, the prophet Daniel, he knew that it was God who brought judgment upon Judah. It is amazing how merciful God has been to us as Americans for so long. It's amazing in light of 60 million babies that have been legally murdered since 1973. It's amazing in light of just a week and a half ago where the Speaker of the House of Representatives put forth new rules for the House. Speech codes. We are not allowed anymore in that assembly to use gender-specific terms like mom or dad or husband or wife or aunt or uncle or niece or nephew. Thought control. Speech control. That is a direct spitting into the face of the Lord Jesus Christ who created mankind, male and female. Our country is not only legalized, but more and more in its school systems, in the media, in the culture. It is demanding praise homosexual activity. Praise homosexual marriage. Praise the obliteration of the distinction between male and female. Praise people when, even though they are biologically a male, declare that they are a female, a woman, or vice versa. Praise it. And it is rampant throughout our culture and our laws and our government. And so, I'm going to read a prayer. It's actually the prophet Daniel's prayer from the 6th century B.C. Let's pray. I pray to the Lord my God and make confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love for those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned 
and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame as at this day. To the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you in judgment have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. For we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse, and the oath, that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses. All this calamity has come upon us. Yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God. Turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity, and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all His works that He has done, and we have not obeyed His voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought Your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for Yourself, as at this day, we have sinned. We have done wickedly. O oh Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now therefore, O oh our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O oh Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. 
Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Oh Lord, hear us. Oh Lord, forgive us. Oh Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, oh my God, because your city and your people call by your name. So Holy Father, Pray now particularly for your holy nation, not America. For your holy priesthood, not Jerusalem. But for your elect. Your people in your son Jesus Christ, particularly in America. That your church will shine. That your ten thousands of congregations of people will be a light in the midst of the diaspora. That we will be faithful as communities and as individuals. Show mercy, give strength in the months and days and weeks ahead. For the glory of your name. And for the preservation of the gospel. The only words by the power of the Spirit that can save the lost. Amen. And amen. Okay. If you would, now pick up your Bibles. And turn to the book of Philippians. I will be reading Philippians chapter 2, verses 25 to 30. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all, and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. And so, receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, infallible, eternal, 
Holy Father, it is so good to be your child in and through Jesus Christ. And thus I pray with confidence on behalf of sovereign grace and the help of the Spirit to preach this text. That you would cause us to hear. And that your truth and your word would go down and implant itself into our hearts. Cause us to be like that tree planted by streams of living water and the living word. As the storms that are to come, come. Do it, O Lord, to the glory of your name and the good of your people. Amen. So finally, we pick up again in the book of Philippians where we left off way back on November 22nd. So just a quick context. Remember, Paul is in Rome. He is in prison. He's awaiting trial. The Philippian church finally found out about it, and they raised a, a large offering for Paul to help him be sustained there during his time in Rome. And they took one of their members, a man named Epaphroditus, to send the offering from Philippi to Rome. But even more than that, their intention was also to have Epaphroditus stay in Rome in order to serve Paul in whatever needs he had, which would also hopefully free Timothy up, who was with Paul in Rome, so that Timothy can leave Rome and go to Philippi and minister to them. That's what they wanted. And we saw in the passage right before this, Paul says, I can't do that right now. I can't spare Timothy yet. I want to send him and I will send him as soon as I can, as soon as I find out how things go with me, with my trial here in Rome. But I can't send him yet. But he sends Epaphroditus back much sooner than they ever expected him to Philippi with this letter in his hand. And so this little passage before us, verse 25 to 30 of chapter 2, what Paul does here is he tells the Philippians, this is why I'm sending Epaphroditus back so soon. But that's not all he does. And then he says, therefore. In other words, he puts Epaphroditus up as a model. Here's the model of the Christian walk of sanctification and fruit bearing in this world. So, let's go to it. Verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. So, Paul calls him his brother because he is a Christian, a fellow worker, because they work together in the gospel ministry. And then he uses this military term, soldier. Because Epaphroditus and Paul are in battle side by side against the enemies of the gospel. And 
Then he refers to Epaphroditus this way. And he is your messenger and minister to my need. In other words, yeah, you sent him to me first with the money gift. You know, just so you see that, flip over a page quickly. Chapter 4, verse 18, where Paul writes, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. But that's not all. Epaphroditus is his servant. He is your hand, Philippian church, to serve me, Paul. Then, in verse 26, Paul gives two reasons why he's sending Epaphroditus back so soon. For, because, in other words, I thought it necessary to send Epaphroditus to you now, because he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. In other words, first, he really loves you guys. You're his brothers and sisters. You're his peeps. You're his church. He's longing for you all. Secondly, because he's distressed. He, he's filled with anxiety, not, not for himself, but for you because of your anxiety over him. Because after leaving Philippi, at some point, Epaphroditus contracted something or got injured and got infected. We don't know, but he got really bad sick. And Epaphroditus knows that his brothers and sisters back home in Philippi in the church learned about how bad sick he was, and now he knows they're worried sick about him. And he gets better. But there's no phones or emails or texts to say, I'm cool now, it's good. So he's got this anxiousness because they're worrying about me and I don't want them to worry about me anymore. God has had mercy on me. He's worried sick for you. That's why I'm sending him back. In verse 27, Paul says, Indeed, he was ill, near to death. In other words, you've got to see this, okay? Epaphroditus is back. And what Paul was doing, he's saying, as you're hearing this letter read out loud, as, out loud as a congregation, okay, I just want you to know that, that, that that guy over there right there, standing there as this is being read, Epaphroditus, he was a lot sicker than he's probably letting you know. Actually, he almost died. Paul wants them to know about Epaphroditus' sacrifice. His bravery, his faith in Christ. Because his example is the Christian life. Follow it, Philippians. Sovereign grace. This is the life you're called to. The seriousness of Epaphroditus' sickness demonstrates the intensity of his commitment to Jesus to service for Christ's sake. Indeed, he was ill near to death. But God had 
mercy on him. And not only on him, but he had mercy on me, Paul, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow if he would have died. Paul's very human sensitivity shines through clearly. Paul is not a Stoic because Stoicism is utterly unbiblical. Paul did not walk around saying, God is sovereign. Well, he did say that. He believes that. He believes it because that is the fact and it's true that God is absolutely sovereign over Epaphroditus' sickness and over everything. But he didn't walk around like this. Well, God is sovereign. Therefore, whatever will be, will be. And thus, I am utterly unaffected by the happenings of this world in my life, in my family, in my church. That's not Paul because that's not biblical. Epaphroditus' death, even under God's sovereignty, would have been a severe blow to him. And thus Paul says, I'm deeply grateful to God for sparing me, Paul, such pain and sorrow. Verse 28. I am the more eager to send him, therefore. Why? Why, Paul? So that you, again, Paul's thinking about real people fellow Christians and their anxiety and their joy. He cares about it so that you may rejoice. It's seeing Epaphroditus again and hugging him. And thus, not only that, that I would be less anxious because he cares about them and Paul knows of their anxiety and that bothers him. And if Epaphroditus gets here, you know, he's back now, and they see him, and they're hugging him. They know he's well. That brings joy to Paul, makes him less anxious for their emotional well-being. And now, in our passage comes the big punchline of verses 29 and 30. Therefore, that's... The flow. Having said that, therefore, I Paul, I, Paul, I Paul have something to say to you, Philippian church. Therefore, or so, receive him in the Lord with all joy. And honor. Not Epaphroditus. Honor such men. All who walk like Epaphroditus. Honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ. Risking his life 
to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Therefore, receive and honor such men. In other words, he is a model to follow. So first, receive him with joy. In other words, Philippians, don't get it wrong. Epaphroditus did not fail your mission to me. You sent him. It was your mission. He was working on your behalf for me. And he did not fail. He actually put his life at risk to do your work to serve me. Welcome him home joyfully. Why? I'll tell you why. Because he nearly died risking his neck doing your work. Epaphroditus was a model. He rejected the aphorism of our day. Better safe than sorry. Safety, physical safety, longevity, live a little bit longer over everything. Indeed, Christianity rejects such stupidity. Paul's point is clear. Christians, they move toward safety for the sake of the gospel and the needs of others. They do not first and foremost move toward personal comfort at the expense of truth of Christ and of others. What I mean is this. This is the flow Philippians chapter 2. The opposite of Epaphroditus. This is the way not to live. This is not the Christian walk. I don't feel like doing X, Y, or Z. And that's all that matters. I walk by my felt need. That's not the Christian life. It's not the Christian life to wake up every day and live like this. I don't feel like fellowshipping with the saints and therefore I won't. I don't feel like going to Bible study. I don't feel like giving a listening ear to that person and so I'm going to do what I feel like doing. I don't feel like giving of my time and my money in my giftings to help, encourage, and bless others for the sake of Christ. That's not the Christian life. I'm not making it up. Listen, do you remember the, the paragraph before was the Timothy section? And look at verses 20 and 21. See, this is, remember, Paul has said, don't just look out for your own interest, but also for the interest of others. Selfishness is, is just... It's growing 
fomenting inside of them. And Paul knows this. And then he makes this comment in the Timothy section. Verse 20. I'm going to send Timothy to you. But I look around within the church world in the city of Rome with, with elders, gospel preachers in Rome. And I have no one like Timothy who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. That's not the Christian life. How sad. No one. The, what's in it for me? How much money does it pay, Paul? have no one who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare because they all seek their own interest not those of Jesus Christ you're talking about baptized Christians but the call instead don't follow them the call that Paul gives in Philippians 2 to us is a call to follow Timothy and Epaphroditus as they follow Christ. See, that's why the Apostle Paul used, and I use the term on purpose, he used the greatest hymn in the church. Not to teach the hymn. He wasn't about exposition of the hymn. He used this great hymn, chock full of theology, of Christology, of God becoming a human being in order to suffer and die as a sacrifice and rise and be exalted on the throne of David. He used the hymn as the example for Christians to follow. Look at it again. Remember verse 5. Go back to verse 5. These are the key words. Philippians. Have this attitude. Live this way. Think this way. Have this mind among yourselves. Which belongs to you. In Christ Jesus. Watch. Now you watch. Who? Jesus. Though he was in the form of God. Did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of humanity. And being found in human form. What did he do then? He humbled himself. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Have that mindset in you. That's what Philippians 2 is about. Like Epaphroditus. Here's the truth. 
genuine Christians, Holy Spirit indwelt, born again persons, genuine Christians who really do love Jesus because the Spirit dwells within us. Every single one of us genuine Christians are sinners. We are at constant war with our flesh, with our selfishness. And thus, we desperately need fellowship, community of other believers who love Jesus. We desperately need the ongoing help of the Holy Spirit. We desperately need the written Word of God to fill our, our souls with. And so with that Word of God, I want to do something this morning. I want to turn to the Word of God in Hebrews, chapter 13, if you would. Because chapter 13 of Hebrews, verses 12 to 16, is a parallel passage to everything Paul is doing in Philippians chapter 2. So if you're there, Hebrews 13, beginning with verse 12. So Jesus suffered, also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. And therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. And through him, therefore, let us, church, continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. And do not neglect to do good, to share what you have. Such sacrifices are pleasing to God. It's the same logic as Philippians chapter 2. Jesus came and walked and obeyed and he came to die for us. And, and all that that did for us. Justification, forgiveness of sins, the promise of the resurrection. And he did it all. yes. But then tacked onto it is this other reason. He came to die for us. To grab us and save us. So that we could follow him. That's the flow. That's what Paul uses the great hymn for in Philippians 2. Have that mindset Jesus did. And here, verse 13 of chapter 13 of Hebrews. Therefore, let us go to him 
go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. That command there is based on the death of Jesus. Verse 12 tells us how it happened outside the camp. And it tells us what it accomplished. Our salvation. Our sanctification. Verse 12. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate of Jerusalem. Over on Golgotha. Outside where the temple is in Jerusalem, when all those sacrifices are going on, he suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. And therefore, conclusion, Christian, let us go to Jesus outside the gate. And bear the reproach he endured. That's the call. Reproach, it means to be publicly disapproved of. That's what Jesus bore. Crucify him. That was the culture before Pilate. The mockery on that long stroll through streets in Jerusalem of the people by the sides of the roads and outside the gate and finally to the hill, finally nailed and continued reproach. We find fault with you. It's why you're being humiliated naked on a cross. Scum of the earth. Liar. Blasphemer. Disgraced. Discredited. Dishonored. Publicly disapproved. That's what it is to be reproached. Christians are called go with Jesus in order to experience that reproach from governments. Religious governments, secular government of Pilate, and the culture of the people walking in and out of Jerusalem all day long for hours mocking him as an idiot. Scumbag. Deserved to die. In other words, Christians join Jesus in his suffering. Because Jesus suffered outside the gate, therefore move out from the camp of security and ease and caving in on truth for your reputation's sake. And instead, Go with Jesus in order to be ridiculed. 
in order to bear reproach, go with Jesus in order to bear false accusations of you are a scumbag, hate-filled bigot. You actually, you actually tell people that homosexuality is sinful? I don't even know if you deserve to live. Hater! You will not praise a, a biological male with male genitalia who says, I am a woman. You will not affirm that, you hate monger. Therefore, let us go to Jesus outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. You transphobic. Be willing to hold to biblical truth. For the sake of Christ, who went before us, to bear the reproach. And thus, for the sake of the elect who are out there who are yet lost, but will be found as we preserve the gospel for them in our families, in our communities, in our culture. And because Jesus died there outside the gate to sanctify you and me, this is what it means. We don't have to do this in our own strength. But we do it in, in the strength and the, in the, of the holiness that, that Christ purchased outside the gate. Uncle Golfa. He purchased it for us. He purchased the presence of the Holy Spirit working in us. This is exactly what Paul's point was in Philippians chapter 2. Remember verses 12 and 13. Go for it, Christian, now. Work. Work out. Continue to go outside the gate. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He didn't leave it there. Do it. Because it is God who works in you. Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He's with you. The point is this. Christians, with a Savior like this, okay? Here's how to live. Seek the interests of Jesus Christ by continually moving towards the needs of others. Epaphroditus risked his life, his comfort for you Philippians and for me. The logic is, so let us, let us go to Jesus outside the camp and bear his reproach. Because Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify his people through his own blood. The point of Philippians chapter 2 and the point of Hebrews chapter 13 is that the way that Jesus died and why he died make all the difference in the world for us believers. 
the way he died was outside the gate. Reproached, ridiculed, hated, and rejected by the world. The world of Jerusalem, the world of the religious government, the world of the secular government, and the world of the culture. Outside the gate. Before he did that, remember, he looked at his closest disciples and he declared to them the absolute truth. If they hated me, they will hate you also. He suffered outside the gate, outside the seeming comforts and security. Willingly to Golgotha. Oh, Paul cries out. I'm looking around in the church and they all seek their own interests. Not those of Jesus Christ. They're not seeking the interest of Jesus outside the gate. It's the way he died. And it's instructive. Why he died was to sanctify the people. To make us different than the rest of the world. To to make us loving and risk-taking people like Epaphroditus. In other words, to make us a people who are captivated by another destiny than the comfort of today or tomorrow in this temporal world. Another destiny than anything this world or Jerusalem can offer. Jesus died to sanctify His people. To produce the kind of people who are willing to go outside the camp with Christ. To bear mockery. Reproach. Terrible things said about him. Or us. That's the call. Why? Just to suffer? No. Hebrews 13. Stay right there. Notice, the writer says, verse 14 is what empowers you to go outside the gate. Verse 14 is what drives the Christian's life. For, yes, because here in Jerusalem, for those Christian Jews, for Christian Americans, the state of California, here we have no lasting city. But we seek the city that is to come. That's why Epaphroditus was willing to risk 
his life. You see, that's the motive. Keep it before you. It's called the gospel. It's the promise. It is sweet pie in the sky, by and by. Our motive... Our motive for going outside the camp, outside the gate, whether that is a motive because you obey a call to be a missionary in a very difficult and dangerous place, or the daily call to serve others, your family, your local church, in your community. The daily call to give towards the interest of the gospel and the good of others and not merely to live for your own comfort. The motive behind that, the motive to be willing to bear the reproach and the disdain of the world and family members and culture and Facebook. The motive behind Bearing the reproach of a radical antichrist worldview that is everywhere in the culture. The motive to bear the reproach of dictatorial governors by saying to them, thus far and no further, we must obey Christ and not you. The motive for all of that is because there is a city that's coming. The writer to the Hebrews had already illustrated that point to his readers who were growing weary. They're becoming more worldly. The gospel is not as embedded in them in, anymore. The joy is not there. He, he already gave them this illustration back in chapter 10, verse 34. He wrote to them, remember years ago when you were really on fire for Jesus? For you had compassion on those in prison. And you joyfully, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourself had a better possession and an abiding one. In other words, he says, you remember back then, you, you guys, you considered the needs of others and not just your own interests by visiting fellow Christians who were in jail because of persecution. And you knew that by doing that, you're exposing yourself to the governing authorities. But you said, we're going to go visit them anyway for love's sake, for Christ's sake. You know what? If they take our property, they take our property. And many of you lost a lot of stuff. And what did you do? He says, you rejoiced. And why did you rejoice? Quote, because you knew the truth. Because you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. An unending. And then he used Moses in chapter 11, verse 24, as their example. The example of a Christian life. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, 
He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. But instead he made a choice. Choosing rather to be mistreated. To bear the reproach of Christ. To be mistreated. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God. Rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now watch it. The writer says, He, Moses, considered, and it's the same word in the Greek, the reproach, the ridicule, the public humiliation and rejection from the culture and government. He considered the reproach of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking to the reward. Jesus went outside the gate. That's the only path for Christians. He went outside the gate and the Hebrew writer tells us, look how he went outside the gate and look at him and follow him. Hebrews 12, verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross outside the gate, despising the shame but look where he is. And is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Yeah. Christians, consider him who endured from sinners, culture, school districts, universities, governments, laws, Media, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Do it. Consider him. Why? So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Jesus died. He died so that we would become more like Epaphroditus. Seeking not just our own interest, but the needs of others. Because we look for a city which is not here, but one which is to come. And that's the motive. That's what frees us to take up our cross and to follow Jesus. That's what frees us to be faithful, to be the church, to be Jesus' communities on earth. That's what frees us. To be there.
for others. And when need be, that's the motivation that frees us to defy the irrational and antichrist dictates of the new Rome, of the state of California, which does not like it when Christians say or live, Jesus is Lord. He is King. And Jesus and Jesus alone is the ruler and the dictator and the head of the church. We don't take dictates from the state on how and where and when to have church. We're willing to risk our necks for the sake of the gospel and the good of the elect. And one more thing I close. Do you notice there in Hebrews 13 passage, there are two things that he writes that are involved in our lives, the work of salvation. Verse 15, 16. Because we go outside the gate with Christ, therefore, what? Through him then, let us Christians continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. He means gathered. That's what he's talking about. Continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Oh, let me define it for you. What I mean is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name together without muzzles over your mouths and your noses. That's the first thing. Secondly, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. In other words, the writer's telling these Jewish Christians, many trying to be persuaded to go back to the sacrifices in the temple. He says, when we go with Jesus outside of Jerusalem, outside of the temple, outside of the gate, to the place of sacrifice on Golgotha, where he is the atonement, what we see is more clearly than ever. He died once. For all the sins of all his people. One time forever. It's done. And we see he put an end to all the sacrifices in the temple. They're over. All sacrifices are done with. Except for two. The sacrifice of praise. Vertically with confession of who God is, of His commandments, of His gospel, and of His Son, and of the resurrection, and of the judgment, and of the life to come, and that there's no salvation in any other. We praise Him through singing and praying and saying. And secondly, through the sacrifice of horizontal love toward each other towards others. And so, honor such men who are walking that way like Epaphroditus. For he 
He nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let's pray. Father, may your word spoken into the homes this morning through this video be implanted strengthen us strengthen us again tomorrow and again next week make us a people ready to experience more and more reproach and cause us to be as Moses who will consider the reproach of Christ to be greater wealth than all the fleeting pleasures of sin or acceptance. To the glory of your name, Lord. Amen. And amen. I want to I close the service with a hymn. Though I was counseled very wisely by my wife not to sing it, and so I will not, but I'm going to read the hymn for the close of our video service this morning. A hymn written by a man named Martin Luther back in the 16th century. A man who had a court trial and was convicted and condemned to be executed for the crime of what he thought and wrote. Convicted for thought crimes, they're coming all the more now. Convicted for his understanding of the gospel. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Oh, do you ask who that may be? Answer, Christ Jesus. It is he. Lord Sabaoth is his name from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And though the world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear. For God has willed His truth to triumph through us. His rage we can endure, for lo, His doom is sure. One little word will. Fell him. That word above all earthly powers. No thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours. 
through him who with us sideth. Oh, the body or the finances or the job, they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. May the Lord bless you and keep you until I get to see, hopefully, most of you, if not all of you, on Wednesday at home group and next Sunday right here. So may His face of mercy and grace and empowerment, siding with you in Jesus Christ, go with you.